0: Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the Call to War video briefing number 10. Uh, This is new. Uh, Just a short time ago, I taught uh, briefing number 9 live for the first time, and uh, this is the direction I've received from God today. And uh, so here we are with the second one for the day. And uh, this is very, very important. Um, the Lord is trying to get the, the attention of his church. I, I'm going to repeat a few things from the last uh, briefing just because some may not have seen that, simply because I need to clarify some things here. Uh, from what I've heard from God, um, this isn't about Reaching the lost. He has shut down every single method that we can use directly or indirectly, essentially, to reach the lost. So many churches are just scrambling, trying to figure out how they're going to minister to their own people. Uh, In many places, and starting in Maryland today, this morning, the governor has restricted all meetings uh, with over 10 people. No meeting can have more than 10 people. Uh, He gave us the impression that this is going to be for a while. He shut down malls. He shut down restaurants and bars. uh, He shut down all the sporting events. Uh, Nobody can gather with more than 10 people. Uh, One brother from California contacted me and said in his county, they have shut down any kind of gathering that's not the immediate family in a home. Uh, This is not the enemy. I'm sorry. I don't believe that. My father is sitting on the throne of the universe and he is in charge. He is in control. And there's nothing that can happen on this earth without his permission. Is he causing this? Of course not. Is he permitting it? Absolutely. So what is his purpose? What is his purpose? Well, I've asked this question a few times in my teaching and conversations over the last week or two. Uh, just exactly what is a kind, loving, gracious God supposed to do. When you know how long eternity is, you know how horrible hell is, you know the fact that those that go to hell have no hope of ever getting out of it. If you're truly a God of love, are you going to sit back with your arms folded and pout because people don't want to have anything to do with you? Or if you're a God of love, are you going to restrict yourself from doing anything to get man's attention to prove they're really not in control of this life? Are you going to do that? Matthew 24, 7, the Lord speaks there and says that when they ask him, when shall these things be? He said, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars and and famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. He said, this is just the beginning of sorrows. He used the word sorrow there. Uh, King James used the word sorrow. The Greek word there is labor pains, literally. And anybody's ever been married to a woman that uh, has had a child, we know that labor pains start off relatively mild and infrequently, and then they increase in frequency and in intensity until they get very close together, and all of a sudden you have a baby. The Holy Ghost specifically chose the word in Matthew 24, 7, and 8 uh, to speak of labor pains. So that means these things that some have tried to dismiss because they seem random are happening more and more frequently. Well, a God of love wouldn't do that. Well, let me tell you what. A God of love that knows how long eternity is, forever, even though man who lives in the temporal dimension tries to deny there is an an eternity, what is this whole crisis about? People are dying. People are facing what the world would call the unknown. But according to the word of God, we know what it is. And that existence is eternal life. This is just temporary. This whole life is temporary. There's nothing permanent about this life. I'm 74 years old. And while I thank God for the health I have, uh, I don't know where these 74 years have gone. I can't even imagine. I can't, I have a hard time associating that word with me and the way I feel and what God's got me doing because I thought you were supposed to be retired when you were 74. Well, I can't imagine being retired. How do you retire from a call anyway? But the bottom line again is this you know the closer, the older you get the more you realize your mortality is truly mor- mortality you're not immortal and what is there after this well the world doesn't know god so they don't know what's after this but the word of god those of us that believe the word of god and believe it is the word of god we have some idea what's coming and we know that whatever is coming is forever forever and so what is a god supposed to do that knows all of this, and knows what the destination is of people who absolutely won't acknowledge him as creator, as supreme being, as the author of all of this, and that as the author, he has a plan for all of this. And so the question is, who's going to qualify or disqualify themselves by their own choices of whether or not they're going to be a part of that plan? Who is that going to be? Who does that describe? Because God doesn't decide who goes to hell. Each individual does. And we decide that based on whether or not we believe his word or not believe his word. And for this period called time, this very temporary period in God's eternal plan, he has determined he's not going to force anybody to do anything against their will. Why? Because he wants to know who is it that has enough awareness beyond themselves that they're not so full of themselves and beyond their life that acknowledge that all of this could not have come in existence accidentally. I studied celestial navigation at the Naval Academy, a whole semester of it way, way before GPS devices, which have only really been in popular use the last 30 to 50 years at most. And so Uh, Mariners upon the sea, the chartless sea, the sea with no particular, uh, 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 there's no landmarks at sea. There's no way to guide yourself by landmarks. They learned very quickly thousands of years ago that the earth, this universe is so ordered that they can expect certain stars at certain locations on the planet earth to be at the same spot in the sky at certain times of the year, so they created books so they could they could do that, and so then you shoot a an azimuth a bearing to, to lines of three different stars, and you plot that on your chart, and you know where you are. That's how ordered the universe is. Order does not come out of chaos. That's diametrically uh, they're diametrically opposed to one another, and one does not birth the other. Now you can take order. And you can get it into chaos, but you can't start with chaos and get it into order without someone with the power and authority to do that, some divine mind, some divine power to be able to do that. Now, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament His handiwork. So if this world wants to deny the witness he left himself, among other things, the seasons that are of certainty, the, the the rain and what it does and how the crops work and all of that, that someone had to design all of that. Someone had to put all of that into place. Someone had to put the power of life in those seeds. Someone had to do that. Mother Nature doesn't do that. There's no such entity. Father Earth doesn't do that. There's no such entity. Father God did. Now, I acknowledge there are a lot of people that are doing everything they can to not acknowledge there is a God. And some who are in the church that say they believe in God live like there's no God. Even while they go to church and pay their dues on their eternal life insurance policy, they think. So what is that loving God supposed to do? when he knows the plan. And he knows how temporary all of this is. What is he supposed to do? How is a loving God supposed to respond to that? I remember one time, uh, my uh, oldest son was about a year and a half, and he had learned to crawl up the steps, and I was sitting at the top of the steps at my desk, and he started crawling up the steps. And uh, this voice said to me, I believe it was God, you can believe what you want. Just before he got to the step, top of the steps, He's going to fall down those steps. And he got his pudgy little self up to the top of the the steps. And in a hurry, right at the top of the step, he stood up too quickly. And when he starts standing up, I'm already coming out of my chair to grab him. And he started falling backwards down those steps. As his father, it never crossed my mind to save myself. As his father, I, I followed him down our steps. I followed him head first down our steps, trying my best to reach him. I did my best to reach him. Down those steps, I did my best to try to stop him. Head first. He's tumbling backwards down the steps. And as his loving father, who was more concerned about that child than he was himself, I went down those steps head first. About two-thirds of the way down, I caught up with him. And I put my arm out to stop him. But now I can't stop me. I'm on my belly going down those steps head first. And I put my arm out and stopped him, but my leg going by knocked him down. And we both ended up at the bottom of the steps in a pile. I'm so thankful to tell you neither one of us was seriously hurt. But I'll never forget the feeling I had as that child's father. There was no regard for my my safety, my benefit, my well-being. That was my child, and I loved my child. And I did everything I could to preserve him. I remember in, I have a picture in my mind right now of being out on the sidewalk in front of our first house. And he was about four or five and he was standing on the curb and I was too far to reach him. And he started to step off the curb. He didn't see the car coming. I did. I yelled at the top of my lungs, David, stop, stop. He didn't stop in time. Thankfully, that car just clipped him going by, and he wasn't seriously hurt. But I wasn't worried about hurting his feelings yelling at him. I wasn't worried about if it was appropriate to yell at the top of my lungs. My love demanded as a father that I do something to get that child's attention because their life was in danger. And I'm just a man. If we being evil know how to love our children, I'm paraphrasing now, how much more does our heavenly father love us? If we being evil will do what we can to spare our children if they're in danger, how much more will our heavenly father do to spare his children and all that would be his children from eternal danger? Now, of course, the world. And some people in the church are not really happy about the fact that God may choose to stop them from, uh, uh, doing what they want to do. Well, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, He's not going to stop you by yourself. Now, the whole world's shut down right now, or at least all of the United States so is becoming that way. Some of us live in places where it's not as shut down as others, but wait on it. It's coming your way. It's coming your way. Uh, this isn't right, this isn't fair, this isn't isn't love. That's right, because our world doesn't understand what love is. We don't understand what the love of God is. We don't understand somebody that would hang on the cross and die one of the worst deaths that's ever been died because of love. We don't understand that, you see. We don't understand it. We don't understand it because we don't understand love. Real love does what it has to do. Real love says whatever it has to say. Real love is a whole lot less worried about offending your little temporal feelings right now than for you to be destroyed in eternity. Real love. Real love doesn't hide from truth. Real love doesn't withhold the truth. Real love speaks the truth because it can't help itself. Real love can't restrain itself from doing whatever's necessary, whatever is required to try to get people's attention and give them a chance to be saved. Real love does that. When our president calls a national day of prayer and there's not one people protest out of the atheists because they're smarter than that. When in the announcement this morning, when the Maryland state governor, uh, Shut down the malls today. He'd already shut down the, the the restaurants a couple of days ago, but he shut down the malls today, and he shut down all groups of more than ten today. I sat there listening to this this briefing from him with my wife, and we were amazed at how many times. This governor used the word God and the, used the word prayer and calling on prayer and requesting prayer and saying, God bless you and God bless those that are sick and God protect all of us. And he's saying all this. I don't even know what his faith is in God, but he was using that. Well, i would tell you what, pay attention. See if anybody rises up and rebukes this governor for talking like that because God has let this situation get bad enough that he stopped the mouths of these people that are trying to silence the Christians for now. For now. It's not always going to be like this, but for now it is. So what's the church going to do? Are we going to just sit home and read our books and entertain ourselves and play family games and... uh Catch up on the movies that we haven't watched or the episodes of our favorite TV season show? Is that what we're going to do? Or are we going to pray? Are we going to read the word and find out what the word really says? Jesus said in John five thirty nine, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. There's a whole lot of people think they have eternal life because they believe in what they think the Bible says because they've never confirmed to themselves, for themselves, what the Bible actually says. So I, I've got a question, my friend. i got a question. How about you? I woke up about 4 a.m. this morning and the Holy Ghost said this to me. There are people praying prayers that haven't prayed in a long time and some that have never prayed But unfortunately, I cannot answer them. He said, it's not that some aren't praying, but they're praying prayers I cannot and will not, do not answer. And so I got up and began to pray. And then he began to direct me places in his word where I could uh, see these uh, scriptures on what he was talking about. So this is what he said to me. There's a reason that many believers are essentially prayerless It's because for them, prayer does not work, and they don't think it works. Prayer doesn't work. Well, for some people, it doesn't work. And so the question is, why does prayer work for some and not for others? Well, God is no respecter of persons, he says, and I believe he is no respecter of persons. So why is it, why is it that God does not answer some prayers? So let's read Scripture and see what he says. Psalm 66 and 18, David said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, and of course, as I've taught many times over the last few months, iniquity is living our lives by our will. Now, some people, they'll seek the will of God for their spiritual life, but their natural life, they're in charge. You know, they let God run their spiritual life, whatever that is, a few days a week or a few hours uh, on those days, or maybe even a day or so, an hour or so each day of their life. They let God be in charge of that, but the rest of it, they make their own decisions on. Now, you may think that's okay, and whoever's been preaching to you may think that's okay, but the Word of God says it's not okay. The Lord Jesus Christ says it's not okay. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So if I'm doing my will, I'm I'm, I'm a Christian part-time, I'm doing the will of the Father part-time according to me, doing the will of the Father part-time, the rest of the time I'm in charge, I'm in control. Then I'm not doing the will of the Father because I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price and he doesn't own me part of the time. I'm not his part of the time. I'm his all of the time. As I posted on Facebook uh, within the last few days, God did not save me so that he could be a part of my life, so that I could work him into my life and work him into my schedule. He only saves people to become a part of him, to become a part of his life, a part of his schedule. To not do so is iniquity. And if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Proverbs 18 and 9 says, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Well, I don't believe in the law. We're free from the law. Well, that's a little hard to do because the law is around us in every conceivable way. And the Greek word translated law uh, figuratively and literally means portion or share it is it, the law defines what it takes to be a part of god's portion part of god's plan our portion our place in god's plan the law defines that so iniquity is lawlessness nobody's not gonna tell nobody's telling me what to do well you have a right to live that way here You do, but you're accountable for those decisions, and everyone is eternally accountable for our decisions of whether or not we're going to live by his word or our word. Everybody is. Now, he has limited himself, and he's the only one who has the authority to do that. The Lord has limited himself to not violate your choices or my choices here. We have a right to choose. There's one problem with that. We may have the right to choose, but we don't have the right to control how those choices turn out. So I can choose to do all I want, but I have no ability and you have no ability to make it go the way we want it to. So I prefer to submit my choices to God because he's going to back those choices because they're really his will. I'm choosing to do his will. And he's the one that's going to make it turn out the way it's supposed to turn out. And so here we are. And uh, <laughs> uh, many of us are home. And many of us uh, are bored out of our minds. And many of us are uh, nervous. And some are even fearful. And many, some may be even terrified. But all of that is intended. God has allowed not caused, allowed all of that to get our attention. And I'm not apologizing for that. I'm not apologizing for God. I'm not apologizing for God loving us so much that he's doing whatever he's got to do to get our attention. Because I'm not living for here and now. Paul said, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us at far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Why we look not at those things which are seen, but at those things which are unseen. Because the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are eternal. That is the mindset of a spiritually mature child of God. It's the mindset he wants us all to have. It is the mind of Christ. And Paul told us to have the mind of Christ, where the eternal is what's important and the temporal is not. It's not. That's why Paul could say, for me to live as Christ and die as game. I'm not, I'm not going to be threatened with heaven. I'm not threatened with heaven. I don't have any fear over getting sick. If I get sick, he's in control. If I'm not, if I don't get sick, He's in control. There's not one living human being on this earth right now that can prevent themselves from getting sick. Nobody can protect themselves. Yes, I appreciate the concern of our president and my governor that is doing whatever they feel in their, in their opinion is the best thing to do to try to limit the spread of this. And as, as people with consciences and feeling their responsibility to the public, They have to do what they're doing, and I don't resent them for it. But I know who's in control. I know who's in control, and they are not. And they are frantically doing everything they can to limit the number of people that are sick, and yet God in his wisdom is the only one that controls that. Well, he's a mean God to let somebody die. Really? The book says it's appointed unto man wants to die. Everybody's appointment with death is set before you even breathe your first breath. That's the deal. He's done that to try to convince us that this is not life. This is just a vapor. And it's here one minute and the next. So what did James say we're supposed to do? We should say, uh, if God wills, we will do this or that and mean it if God wills, and not get uh, angry and resentful at him because he let something happen or didn't let something happen. He is God. I am not, and neither are you. So what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? What are we going to do? How are we going to (laughs) face this God one day? When his love, Even though we don't understand his ways because his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts as high as the heaven is above the earth. Even though we don't understand his ways and thoughts, he's doing everything he can other than violating your will and mine and making me get saved, which he cannot do by his own limitations on himself. He's doing everything he can to get our attention. But how many people aren't even praying? believers that don't pray, don't really have a prayer life. We go to church, and we pray, If I guess if we call it church, and maybe we sing and praise a little bit, and we listen to a preacher, and we've paid our dues, so we go home and until we have to go through all of that again, right? It's the attitude of some. But we don't pray, not really pray. If we thought prayer worked, we'd really pray, but... We don't because it hadn't worked for us. Why? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm sixty six eighteen, Proverbs twenty eight nine. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination to God. An abomination means it's very abhorrent and repulsive. So a person that prays without repentance. Without confessing their attitude to their lives, their, are running their own life, doing their thing is wrong in the sight of God and that you're, we're sorry that it's wrong and we repent for it, then our prayers will not be heard and our prayers will even be an abomination in sight. Isaiah 52, uh, 59 and 1 uh, continues with this thought when it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. We have, because we, so many, don't really know what the word of God says, and they're not students of the word, and they're not submitted to the word as the final authority in their lives, we just don't. Get it. And I'm talking about believers, Christians that just don't get it. God is such a good God He won't let bad stuff happen to people. Bad by whose definition? If it gets my attention and I repent and I'm saved, I obey the God the, the, the plan of salvation and I'm saved, and I die, and He said precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And I get to leave this temporary life and I get to go to the eternal life? That's a bad thing? Now, I'm not volunteering to die. I've got too much to do. I had too many of you to torment with all this teaching of mine, as some, I guess, would consider it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm prepared to die, but I'm not done yet. I got stuff to do. Not my stuff, his stuff. His stuff. But when he's done, I'm out of here. I'm ready to go. I don't care what means he uses to get me out of here. I'm done. Why? Because I'm too close to the finish line to not finish the race. But everyone is too close to the finish line to not finish the race because none of us knows where the finish line has been drawn for us. So, what's the answer to prayerless prayers, Pr- prayers that are unanswered, prayers that God can't answer? I've used this before in the Call to War briefings, but I, it's the will of God to use it again now. Second Chronicles seven thirteen. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, I, God, or if I command the locust to devour the land, I, God. Or if I send pestilence or diseases, is the Hebrew word there, among my people. And again, people freak out over that. But God is a good God. He wouldn't do all of that. You don't know God. He is a good God. But you don't know his ways and you don't know his plan. And you don't know his purposes. And the idea that he's ever made any kind of commitment to make this heaven on earth to give us pain-free, problem-free, pressure-free lives. He's never done it. In fact, he said in John chapter 16, verse 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That's King James English, but a lot of the modern translations translate it this way. In the world you shall have trouble. God never promised us this was a rose garden. God never promised us that this was going to be a a, a cloud that we're floating on so nice and comfy, and there was never going to be any pain or problems or pressure in it. But people have that idea because they don't know God because they don't know his word. And they sure don't understand what he's doing here. And they don't understand his plan. And they think this is going to go on forever. Well, you know what? Let's climb it. People and all those others, they're right. It's not going to go on forever, and there's not a thing they can do to save it because the end of this is in his plan. He's going to create a new heaven, a new earth. Yeah. Because the book says, just like he destroyed the world with water at one time, he's going to destroy the world with fire the second time. Why? That's not kind. No, no. Is it kind to ignore someone who has done everything that's possible for you, even if you don't acknowledge it or (sighs) appreciate it? That's not kind, is it? No. Most of us would be very offended by that if we really went out of our way for somebody to try to do something really nice for them and really helpful for them and really care about them, and they they didn't just ignore it, that they disdained us for it. Well, you know why you wouldn't take that very well? Because you and I were made in his image, and he gave us those kind of abilities for feelings to react, react to things, so that we can't claim we don't understand why he does stuff. So. But in this particular period of time we're in right now, this isn't judgment. This is God's love. He's trying to get our attention. Well, what is the response I'm supposed to have to this? If I shut up heaven, there be no rain. If I command the locusts to the fire of the land, if I send pestilence among my people, if my people which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and will heal their land. We want to do things our way, live our way by our opinion, and we want God to bless that. If you haven't figured this out yet, ain't going to happen. Because if he did that, he'd be a liar. And he would no longer be God, and all of this would cease to exist because it's all held together by the word of his power. But that's not what we look. You know, I believe in the good news. I believe in the good news too. And what was the good news? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoa, hey, what's wonderful? Yay! No, you stop reading too quick. That he that believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look to the lengths that God went to. When he couldn't find a man to be that sacrifice for our sins, he had to become a man himself. And the only part of God that could die, did die. But he didn't just die an average death. He didn't die of sickness or disease or accident or whatever. No, he didn't die of a heart attack. He died the most shameful death that a human could die, a horrible, painful death to pay the penalty for our sins. For what purpose? Because he knows eternity and he knows the end end of all of this from the beginning. And he went to those extremes to save us, to also let us know what he's trying to save us from. That it's so horrible that he was willing to go to any extreme to save us. Paul said it this way in Romans 8. He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. How much also will he not freely give us all things? Well, we want to take that all things as a new car or a new house or perfect health and to live until we're 120, uh, you know, with constant vacation and eat all the food we want and not get fat and other ridiculous ideas that I'm being extreme with here. No. He did all his preparation for the eternal life. He says, "I hath not seen, neither's ear heard, neither's into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for those that love him. but God has revealed them on us by His spirit. So all we get here concerning all of that is a revelation now, if I'm willing to receive it. I don't get but a taste of that. That's why the Bible talks about those who have tasted of the good word of, the, of God and the powers of the world to come. That's why David said, taste and see the Lord is good. Because that's all we get here is a taste. The Holy Ghost is only the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance. That's all we got is a small, tiny portion of what's coming. But it, according to Jesus, it's supposed to be enough for us to long for that. Because he's coming for them that look for him the second time. Not for those who say, don't come, Jesus. Don't come, Jesus. Having too much fun here. Don't come, Jesus. Don't come, Jesus. No. It's not happening. It's not happening like that. That's not the way it is. And what is iniquity? There's anger toward God that he's not blessing me with heaven on earth. I'm not talking about the world now. I'm talking about the church People in the church, you can always tell somebody it works iniquity because bad stuff happens, and they say, after all I've done for you, God, you let this happen for me. I wouldn't say that if I was you because you're just telling God and everybody and your own self that you're a worker of iniquity, that you've been doing stuff to earn something from him, to obligate him. And let me tell you something right now. Nobody can earn anything from God, and nobody obligates God anyway any for anything. It's all by his initiation and he gives it freely. And that's why the book says freely you receive, freely give. You know why there's so many Christians that aren't freely given anything? Because they haven't freely received very much. Because if I have truly re- received from God, I can't possibly refrain myself from freely giving what I can't I have to acknowledge. I did not earn or deserve, but was given to me as a gift of His love. Salvation, forgiveness, hope, peace, joy, righteousness, the love of God, confidence that my Father's in control and that I don't have anything to fear, that there's nothing happening to me that He didn't know about in advance and that he has tempered everything, he has limited everything that affects his people to only be enough to accomplish his plan and purpose. So if I need really severe stuff, I must be pretty stubborn. Oh, you just offended a bunch of people. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just telling you right now. He said he wouldn't put anything on us more than we can can bear. So whatever I'm going through, there must be something in me I'm resisting being broken and resisting his work in me that his love for me says, I control my will, but I don't control circumstances. You control your own will, but you don't control circumstances. Make all the decisions you want, but you can't make them happen. You have the right and the power of choice, and he will not violate that power of choice but you don't have the ability to make your choices come to pass. You don't have that ability. He didn't give you that ability, didn't give me that ability, didn't give any man that ability. He reserved those things to himself. So the circumstances, my humanity, I my humanity doesn't enjoy these circumstances more than anybody else. But I enjoy the opportunity where God has arrested the attention of this country this continent, this world, he has arrested the attention of this world. And if we're listening, he's saying, I love you. He's not saying I'm angry with you. He's saying I love you. I-, I love you too much to leave you like you are. I've, it's not original with me, but people have said it. They've said it. Uh God loves us like we are. That is absolutely the truth. We, we have to come to God just like we are, and he loves us just, just like we are. But he loves us too much to leave us like we are. And that's why Jesus said we can fall on the rock and be broken, or the rock will fall on us and grind us to powder. Either way, he's got to do whatever he needs to do to save us. Now, in the end, how I respond to all of that is going to determine my salvation. How I respond to all that. I submit to him. I obey him. I do his will. Notice this, please. He said, uh, no rain, locusts, pestilence is to get my people to pray. My people, which are called by my name, he qualified who's his people. If they'll humble themselves, well, there we are right there. Because what is ultim- ultimately what is true hu- biblical humility, the acknowledgment that without Him I can do nothing. John fifteen five, without Him I can do nothing. That's the first part of that. The other thing is the acknowledgment that I'm created and saved to do His will, not I wasn't saved for Him to give me what I want and do my will. That's why, except a man be born uh, again, he cannot see the church. No, the kingdom. Except a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the church. No, the kingdom. Because the church is who we are. The kingdom is what we do. And it's not enough to be saved and just in the church. For me to be saved, I've got to be in the church and doing the work of the church with the church that number one thing is prayer. And prayer works. He's promised us. James 5:16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, there's the problem. If I'm walking by my own will, by my own by iniquity, that's pride. I'm not humble. If I'm self-sufficient, a self-sufficient Christian, what an oxymoron that is. There's no such thing as a self-sufficient Biblical Christian doesn't exist because biblical Christians have come to the end of themselves and they acknowledge that without him, they can do nothing and that his will is perfect and ours is not acceptable. Even the man Christ Jesus prayed, but qualified his prayer. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He prayed that. Now, What was it? He wasn't praying about not dying. He wasn't afraid to die. It was having to take everybody else's sins into his sinless self. That humanity realizing and experiencing that load of sin that he was beginning to taste of in the garden. That he was going to pay the price for. He was pure. He didn't want to be anything but pure. That humanity. But nevertheless, Father not as you will, but as I will. If the man Christ Jesus had to pray for the will of God to be done and he could not save the world without dying that horrible death, then you tell me that his children, his servants, his body, God expects less of us than our Christ. We are the body of Christ. And he said, whatever I've gone through, you're going to go through. They hated me, they're going to hate you. book. It's book. He said, if any man will be my disciple, let him come after me and deny himself. The Greek word there, deny, means to disavow ownership of yourself, to acknowledge you don't own you and take up your cross, Luke 9.23 says, daily and follow me. Whoever saves his life is going to lose it. Whoever loses his life for Christ's sake is going to find it. And whether that losing your life for Christ's sake means you just live by his will every day, whether you live to be 120 or not, instead of living by your will or losing your life, meaning you leave here and you're going there. It's all the same thing. And all of that is necessary to be a disciple. Yeah, we don't really preach all that stuff very much, do we? Cause we're afraid of losing our crowd. Really? Really? Huh? Really? now, the Lord has called us to pray the first thing we do in that prayer, to please God, to be revived, because second Chronicles 7:14 is a prayer pattern for revival. I humble myself before God. I pray. This is just the beginning of, this is the prayer where I'm seeking after God. I'm trying to understand how to communicate with him. I'm trying to do that. But as I'm praying to him about things, then something begins to be birthed in me where I want to know him. And now I seek his face. And when I come into his presence because I'm seeking his face, that makes me want to turn from my wicked ways. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he cried out, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips because I've seen the Lord. So true repentance is a product of, of coming into his presence and seeing our will, the way we've been doing things iniquity and and our preferences and our prayers from his perspective and repenting, repenting, humbling ourselves, coming to the end of ourselves and obeying the word of God and praying and, and seeking to learn to pray and then, desiring to know him and come into his presence. And in his presence, his presence purges us. He shines a light on every part of our lives and we can repent. And when we repent, revival happens. God hears from heaven and he forgives our sin and then he heals our land. So our relationship with God gets right And then the church gets revived and right. And then harvest comes because we've done the will of God. We've done the will of God. The Lord is calling the church to pray. The Lord is calling the church to pray. Whoever's voice is calling you, uh, he's using the call to pray, then obey it. Whichever person is calling you to pray. But our, our devotional prayers are no longer good enough. Because too many people, that's all they do. They just check in with God every day and make sure everything's okay. I, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. I want to make sure you're still there. And I want you to know I'm still here and, and, and whatever. And I'm not trying to make fun of that. But that's really what it comes down to. That's all it is. We're just checking in with God. We're just, it, okay, it's devotion. But devotion was not supposed to be the end all to be all. Devotion was what was supposed to position us in God to be conduits of his word, of his spirit, his power, his authority, his will, his kingdom. So many people, they come to tell God everything they want to do, but they don't have time to sit around and listen to him. And true prayer, biblical prayer is two-way communication. Well, I, I, I don't... Hear from God. Well, you don't spend enough time with Him. You can't get, you can't have, you can't establish communication with someone that you just give token time to. I I did a post on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. I said, having a prayer time is like having a wife time. See how that works for you. Me go home and say to my wife, now, okay, every morning from seven to eight, I'm going to have wife time, and so whatever you want to talk about, we'll talk about, and whatever whatever we need to fellowship with, we're going to have that. It's going to be my life, wife time, and when that's done, uh, I got stuff to do. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Really seriously, that's what that's the way it is with a lot of people. They have prayer times. Oh, they're faithful to it, and they spend that time praying that earnest, heartfelt prayer for that hour. But they haven't surrendered anything. They haven't committed themselves to God. They haven't presented Him for whatever His will is for the whole day. Uh, you know, I've got my prayer done. Now I've got stuff I've got to do. I got to do. And people say, "Well, I got to go to work." Yeah. So you go to God work without God? That's really what you want to do? You want to go to work without God? Really? Yeah, well, I know what I'm doing, really. So everything you know how to do so well, it always works out perfectly. You never have any glitches. You never have any problems. I wonder what that's about. When there's something you're an expert at about and it doesn't go very well, I wonder what that's about. Is there any chance you've got a God that loves you so much, he's trying to get across to you, there isn't anything we don't need him for? Do you think that's a possibility? Why? Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30 said, he talks about in chapter 22 of Ezekiel, all this stuff that's happening. If you read the context closely, he's not talking about the world. He's talking about his people. And he said, I sought for a man that would stand in the gap and make up the hedge that I could spare him, but I couldn't find any. So I poured out my wrath on the people of God because To whom much is given, much is required. And our few hours in church every week and our, our hour, hopefully it's at least an hour, of prayer every morning and us reading our chapter a day doesn't pay our dues so now we can run our lives the rest of the time. Jesus called it iniquity. Now, this is hard to hear, especially if you're hearing this kind of for the first time. It's hard to hear because... We've been led to believe that's all okay with Jesus. Well, again, John five thirty nine. search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. You want to really know what Jesus expects? You want to really know what's expected of us as children of God, as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ? You better go to the book and find that out instead of reading somebody's book on it need to go find out what it says for yourself. Because what God will show you may not be exactly the way he showed somebody else. It's not what somebody else has said can't help you. But if you're willing to trust your whole salvation on reading what somebody else, God said to somebody else about his word, well, then you're different than me. I acknowledge the benefit of reading other books, and God has called me at times to write books. But hear me right now. Nobody's book is a substitute for me seeing what the book Bible says for myself. Nobody. Nobody's book. I want to know what the book says and means for myself because it's my eternity that's resting on that. No preacher, no local church, no organization is going to be ultimately responsible for what I see in that book and live by that book because nobody's accountable for my soul but me. Oh, yes, I know. Pastors do have an accountability. But there's only a limited accountability there because pastors cannot control us. Now, I know there's some that try, but they don't have the right in the Word of God to do that. I don't have a right to make people's uh, everyday decisions for them. Only Jesus does. Only Jesus does. I have a right to tell people when they're violating the principles of the Word of God, but I don't have a right to to make their natural decisions for them every day. Only God says he does. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Book, it's book, it's book. Back uh, a few months ago, I uh, had a very disturbing prayer, or, or dream, excuse me. It was uh, the middle of the night, and uh, I was uh, among a group of pastors, and I, I hesitate to say it like this because that means I'm categorizing myself, and that's not my right to do. God and others have the are the categorizers. I don't categorize myself. But I was among a group of pastors who were called from around the country, around the continent, to come be a part of a new effort. We're going to have great growth and revival. And uh, I knew all the pastors in the dream. I didn't remember any names when I woke up. I don't remember what uh, what department it was of the organization I participate with, but it was one of our departments that was responsible for revival, harvest, whatever it was. All of them are responsible to some degree, so that's why I don't know. But I, was, I wasn't was there as an a elected official or a representative. I was just there as a, a pastor, and they were asking for this group of pastors' help. And they had called in a uh, for to work with them on this, a notable evangelist among us. Now, in the dream, I knew the name. But when I woke up, uh, I did not know the name, and God did not intend for me to know the name because it wasn't about an individual. But this individual was the one that was there to give us this pep talk and this rally to to hype us us up to get behind this effort. And they broke out boxes of T-shirts that they wanted us all to put on right then. And on that T-shirt, it had the theme of this next year's effort. And that theme was no book revival. We're going to have revival and we're not going to let the Bible restrict us and our efforts and our methods and, and all that we're doing. And we're not going to let the doctrine of the Bible Keep us from reaching people and, and having the biggest crowds we've ever had. We're not we're going to have a no-book revival. And in this dream, and I woke myself up doing this, I lost it. And I began to scream at the top of my lungs that I guess they thought I lost my mind. No, no. No, no, never. I'll never be a part of a no-book revival. I'll never be a part of a no-book revival. I'll never be a part of a no-book revival. Never, never. And I woke myself up. And I'll never be a part of a no-book revival. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for you and pray for me that by the grace of God, that the spirit of the fear of the Lord would come upon us and bring conviction upon us that you and I would never agree to ever be a part of a no-book revival. If we can't find it in the book, don't do it. If somebody's trying to get you something, to do something that's not in the book, I beg of you, don't do it because the results of that no-book revival God will never take ownership of. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you've received this word by the grace of God in the name of Jesus. I love you, but more important, he loves you too. Let's go to heaven together. In Jesus' name.